0: Good morning, I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Tuesday, November 1st. One local hospital is bringing back a program that provides support to those who have no one else. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Vote centers have opened throughout San Diego County where you can vote early in person ahead of election day. The centers are open every day from eight to five, and Saturday over 150 more locations will be opening across the county. For a list of vote centers, check out kpbs.org slash voterhub. A deadly avian flu that's been moving west across the country has reached California, where it is endangering wild and domestic birds. The California Audubon Society is asking residents to empty bird baths and take down feeders. Mike Lines with Audubon California says that prevents birds from congregating and spreading the disease. He adds the destruction of wetland habitat in California has made matters worse. And so we force these birds into flocks in smaller and smaller habitat areas, which then results in more disease spreading more rapidly. He says if the avian flu takes hold in a domestic chicken flock, it will likely kill all the birds. Some wild birds have tested positive for avian flu in San Diego County. Today is going to feel a lot cooler than the past few days, according to the National Weather Service. Temperatures are expected to get even cooler throughout the week. In the mountains, you can expect cold weather, rain, and snow tomorrow and Thursday. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. In the East County, one hospital is bringing back a program that provides comfort and support to those who have no one else. KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman has more on the return of the 11th hour program at Sharp Grossmont Hospital.
2: He's been very lethargic for the past uh, week or two and uh, hasn't been uh, making any progress to get better. There's no better. Yeah.
3: These are the kinds of discussions Dr. Gregory Thomas has every day. He's an inpatient palliative care physician at Sharp Grossmont Hospital in La Mesa. He's going over what an end-of-life care plan might look like with the hospital's clinical chaplain, Andrew Griffiths. Uh,
2: They identify as Christian. I need to find out what their denomination is. Uh, But I think they would be open to having spiritual care involved.
3: Just family in town too? Griffiths and a team of volunteers are standing by, ready to comfort patients in their final hours who otherwise would have no one else. It's called the 11th Hour Program.
4: The mission statement is, you know, no one dies alone.
3: Griffiths says it's designed to give companionship to those at their most vulnerable. When
4: I think about death as a living person, I, I work around it, you know, eight hours a day, four days a week, but I'm still scared of death. I'm, and I would be really scared to, to
3: be around not only death, but be around death alone. Any hospital staff member can refer a patient to the 11th Hour Program. Griffiths says when they get that call they know that the patient is not going to get better and they're typically on what they call a comfort care plan. They're kind of the end of their illness journey, they've
4: they've gone through fighting, they've gone through um, the various levels of what an illness will do to a, a body and then they are towards
3: the end, and they're actively dying. Griffiths and his team try to get as much information about a patient as possible before spending time with them, like finding out their favorite music or books.
4: If they love the Beatles, playing a Beatles song, you know. If they love poetry, maybe reading some poetry, um, showing showing that the act of I, I see you, I, I'm with you, I, I, I'm here.
3: The 11th Hour program is just starting back up again after a nearly three-year hiatus due to COVID-19.
5: That was a bummer for us because I really think that would have been a good time for our program.
3: Tamara DiBelso is an 11th Hour volunteer and also a physical therapist at Sharp Grossmont Hospital. She's been with the program since 2015. She says it was tough not having it around during the deadly pandemic.
5: It was probably when we were most needed, it seems. Um, because lots of patients had to die by themselves. Their families couldn't come into the hospital and the nurses were you know, overwhelmed with lots of things happening at the time. So I wish we could have been there, but that wasn't an option. So now we're back, which is good.
3: The program is looking for more volunteers to help reach a goal of having someone available 24 hours a day. Majority of the patients are not able to speak, but they can usually
5: hear. I hold their hand and just talk to them and, just tell them that, you know, it's okay and that they're safe and that they're in a a good environment and that they're being taken care of and that, you know, that it's okay.
3: Debelso didn't think twice when she was asked to return to the program. For her, this work is personal.
5: It sort of resonated with me because I've been present at the deaths of three of my family members and those were different kinds of experiences, but the common theme was that we had so many family members around at the time and for someone to go, you know, pass on their own without anyone just didn't seem right to me. I think it's more of a comfort to the patient as well as yourself just that you can provide someone maybe a few moments of peace and just, you know, that someone's with them when they might be their most scared or their most vulnerable.
3: Griffiths says over the last couple of years, he saw heartwarming scenes where nurses and therapists took time out of busy schedules to spend time with those dying alone. He jumped at the opportunity to help restart the 11th Hour program, and he's hoping more volunteers will help it thrive. I want to live in a world where there's a little bit of hope, and so I think this program
4: is one step towards that of bringing hope back into the world. Matt Hoffman,
0: KPBS News. With rents sky high and a homelessness crisis still growing, housing is the main issue on everyone's mind. KPBS reporter Jacob Ayres says the San Diego City Council met Monday to declare housing as a human right and discuss further tenant protections.
3: The San Diego City Council unanimously decided to declare housing as a human right on Monday. The declaration comes as San Diego for the first time recorded more newly homeless residents than those that are being rehoused. Asma Abdi works at Partnership for the Advancement of New Americans.
0: Stronger tenant protections are a requirement for many of our families to to remain in their homes.
3: The meeting also featured a workshop on a framework to amend the city's Tenants' Right to Know Ordinance. There was significant pushback against the new proposal from landlord groups. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News.
0: One of the lower-profile races on the ballot this November is the one for assessor, recorder, and county clerk. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says it's three offices in one.
2: The county assessor has the job of determining how much a property is worth and how much of that value can be taxed under state law. The recorder and clerk parts of the job involve issuing birth, death, and marriage certificates and registering business names. Current assessor Ernie Dronenberg is retiring after 12 years on the job.
3: I read every customer feedback card that comes into our office.
2: Jordan Marks is the chief deputy assessor running to replace his boss. He says the office needs someone with experience who will put the customer first.
4: When I got to the office and they said, we need a new website.
3: Well, we budgeted for it. We planned for it minus the slowdown from the pandemic. We got there for the taxpayers because that is great customer service, hearing what you could do better and delivering that.
6: I've been an executive most of my life.
2: Barbara Bree is Mark's opponent. She's a longtime entrepreneur who served on the San Diego City Council for four years before running unsuccessfully for mayor. Bree says the office needs to update not just its website, but also how it gets information from cities when they permit new construction and a property has to be reassessed.
6: Each city communicates with the assessor's office in a different way, and in some cases, it was the U.S. mail. And that's not acceptable in the 21st century. What if a piece of paper gets lost?
2: Andrew Bowen,
0: KPBS News. Coming up, The San Diego Museum of Art has a new art installation now on view. We'll have that story and more just after the break. A new contemporary art installation is now on view at the San Diego Museum of Art. It's a 1,000-square-foot structure called Chapel of the Rocks by artist Justin Sterling. KPBS Arts producer and editor Julia Dixon-Evans explains that the artist wants you to think about that faith.
3: Chapel of the Rocks is built from broken windows, particle board, and things you'd find on a city street, like fire hydrants or police barricades. The windows are the centerpiece. Artist Justin Sterling breaks windows, stains them, and painstakingly reassembles them.
5: That's what I do for a living, I throw rocks. And I'm a window doctor, it's not all destructive.
3: Sterling's installation explores bad faith in terms of religion, policing, or legislating. It's also about healing. Inside the chapel, the windows look like beautifully patterned stained glass. A closer look shows the cracks and holes where the rocks hit, But the space is flooded with colorful and fractured light.
5: It is possible to put it back together, that healing is possible, that we can fix these broken parts of ourselves. I don't know, I feel like a chapel dedicated to the contemplation of brokenness is a good place to start.
3: Chapel of the Rocks is on view at SDMA through February 12th. Julia Dixon-Evans, KPBS News.
0: San Diego Opera held the world premiere of The Last Dream of Frida and Diego on Saturday. The Spanish-language opera is inspired by the life and art of Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera. KPBS Arts reporter Beth Accomando attended the rehearsal last week and spoke with the stage director Lorena Massa as the orchestra warmed up.
5: You are directing a world premiere opera, so how does that feel?
6: You know, it's really exciting. It's really a challenge. And there are so many expectations that I don't want to think about that, but it's rare. I mean, there are not so many opera productions, especially not new productions. And then there are even fewer operas in Spanish and even fewer operas in Spanish that represent or depict two Mexican cultural figures, like Frida and Diego. So it has many elements to make this a very unique and exciting project. And we are
5: in front of this gorgeous set, which uh, plays up the idea of the Day of the Dead. So what role does Day of the Dead play in this opera?
6: Well, it plays the, let's see, the the greatest context and kind of the dramatic trigger. In fact, the, the dramatic trigger of the story is Diego's last day on earth. Diego Rivera is sick and he's dying, three years after Frida's death. And he comes to the graveyard in Dia de Muertos to invoke Frida and call her back to help him cross to Mictlán, to the underworld, the Aztec underworld. The whole first act is in the cemetery, which is, you know, the threshold of Mictlán. And then there is this huge invocation, so the doors open and the dead can come back to the world for one day. So it is quite a
5: a huge part of this show. Talk a little bit more about the production design and the costumes in this.
6: You know, we all knew we didn't want to go to the typical cliche of Mexican folklore, full of color and full of suffering in Frida's case and, and using the same type of imagery for, you know, that, mass media has utilized this freedom mania thing. But what most informed the design, I must say, is the story itself. Because we're not doing Frida and Diego's biography, which is usually what we see in pictures, in films, and many other types of shows. So the story was asking for something different and for a sort of container. That could tell the story. So it is a very simple design, but very strong and total, which I like. You know, this is far from being realistic, it's absolutely symbolic. It's an allegory, it's pure fiction. I mean, she's coming back from the dead and she's going back, and you know, she comes from Nictlan, and we see all the dead souls coming back to the world and whatever. And also the encounter with Diego, when she decides to come back at the end of act one, Katrina tells her, but don't you dare touch Diego. Don't you dare touch your painting brushes. You cannot do that because if you do that, you'll feel the agony again. Okay. so. She she doesn't let him come near. She's not doing it until she cannot do it anymore. At the end, she wants to go back to her painting. And at the end, she adores Diego inevitably. So she does embrace him. She does go back to her easel and, and try to paint again.
5: How does painting kind of play a role in the opera and how is her art represented? It's all there
6: because what we decided very consciously is not to use technology, but to go into a very pictorial style. That is, we have frames all over, the, the main you know, opening of proscenium is a frame, and then we have a lot of frames. We have this very frontal, two-dimensional style that really remembers, reminds us of the painting, the way they painted. So we don't reproduce anything, literally, we don't project anything, we don't, we don't use any technology or projections or mapping or all of that. But still you can recognize, of course that's Casa Azul, even if it's not identical. And we reproduce 10 self-portraits. And even though they are a translation of them, you can recognize them. Frida's style is so recognizable. She's one of the few people in the world, artists in the world, that immediately her art is recognizable. Also, this is a journey from the underworld and back, which is interesting because it's not a journey to the underworld and back. And it is mainly a love story, a tragic love story and a a love story that goes beyond life. So that's why this is very beautiful and moving. It's their last encounter, a dream of a last encounter in order to be together one more day on earth.
0: That was stage director Lorena Matza speaking with KPBS arts reporter Beth Hakamando. San Diego Opera's The Last Dream of Frida and Diego has three more performances through Sunday. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at KPBS.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great day.